Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and this is episode two. Thanks for tuning back in, everybody. I'm glad to be kicking off another episode here of Life After Business. On today's episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Christy Gusick, and she is a friend and partner of my firm, Solidity. And she has got a very interesting past because she has had the privilege and experience of being a part of three different businesses. And over the course of our interview, she explains some of the trials and tribulations that she went through with her husband and her in the first business that they ended up selling when they were uh, in their mid-20s, and what she discovered about herself and what it's like to go into a business with a plan, and then also what it's like to go into business without a plan, and understanding how your thoughts about what it's going to be like after that affect the day-to-day business. And the plan that affects the day-to-day business is not just a typical strategic business plan or the your normal SWAT plan. It's an actual plan that identifies who you are, what drives you, and why you have this relationship with a business as an entrepreneur, and then how that transcends into your service offering and the rest of your life. So with that, I hope you enjoy the interview. Well, thank you for taking the time. So I just want to kind of start it off with, uh, you've been an entrepreneur for um, a long time, and you've had a multiple different ventures and I guess give our listeners maybe a little bit of a background of how you became an entrepreneur and walk us through the steps when you really thought and knew that you, that you wanted to be your own boss. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I think part of my reason for wanting to be an entrepreneur is because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and I never really thought about them as entrepreneurs, but my Mom was an interior decorator, interior designer by degree and by trade, who then became a racehorse breeder. So she had her own business with racehorses, standing stallions and and breeding racehorses. And my dad was a farmer. So both of them were always self-employed. And it, it just was a part of my, the fabric of my life, if you will. And then, um, Graduating from college, I got a job and uh, moved out to Minnesota, got a job at an investment firm and um, met and married my husband, who was an entrepreneur. So did you meet your husband at your job? um, No, I actually met my husband visiting out here, um, visiting my cousin out here, and she introduced me to my husband. And he had just graduated from Bethel University. And he was doing all kinds of fun stuff that I didn't really care about at the time until we ended up getting married. Now you got to care. (laughs) (laughs) Right. kind of matters then. But he and two brothers actually started a lighting retrofit business where they went in, and this was in the early 90s. They would go into industrial buildings and create, or excuse me, replace the lighting in those buildings with a more energy efficient coating on the back of the, the lighting fixture and then a more energy efficient lighting ballast. And this, they were they manufactured the product and they installed it. And their business started from scratch, basically in, in Phil's, my husband's basement, or excuse me, bedroom. And then from there, within like five years, they were doing $20 million in revenue or thereabouts and had 250 employees. And these guys were like, you know, 25, 26 years old. Wow, some huge and, exponential growth. Where, When you met Phil, where in the life cycle of the business was it? That's a good question. I think when I met Phil, it was 93, 94, New Year's Eve, and they started the business in 92, and they sold it in 97. So I don't know exactly where they were in growth. I mean, it was, they were at one of their smaller offices. So they had gone from being in somebody, in Phil's house, basically, to a small building in Rosedale, Roseville area. 
um, small rental space. And so they were still kind of in the infancy stages. I think maybe they had 75 employees, but I don't remember what they were doing in revenue because I didn't care at the time. <laughs> so did you know that you were dating the business along with him or did you kind of find that out afterwards? <clears throat> no, you know, I, I guess when I met Phil, you know, he made it sound like it was just this really exciting, fast growing business. And I just took it for granted that that's exactly what it was. Well, then after we got married, you know, more things started coming to the surface and Phil was not the main owner. He was a small, um, major or a small owner at, at that point in time. And there was kind of a group of guys that came together and started it. So it wasn't just Phil and these two brothers, there were some other guys too, but he just made it sound like they all had all these, these great, you know, work parties and they'd go off and go snowmobiling together and they'd go visit clients and, you know, they traveled all the time and it just kind of was almost like sounded like a big party because they're these young kids <laughs> running this business. And, um, then as, after we got married, they started having cash flow issues and mainly because they were growing so fast and, you know, that kind of growth, maintaining cash flow with that kind of growth is hard for any business. And they had clients like Menards and, um, bigger they, shops that can dictate the terms, right? That's exactly what it was, Ryan. And so, um, they ended up, you know, really kind of needing cash flow and capital. And so, um, so and there what was, was your involvement, like walk us through where you, when you guys got married and he was running the business, did, what was your exposure to the business, exposure to the financial and the emotional side of it, and how did that progress? You know, um, Gal, you're asking me all these things I haven't thought about for a while. It was kind of a lot of really extreme highs and really extreme lows, and I don't know what other people's experiences are with a business like that, but, and we were really young, too, so... Um, you know, we were very naive, I would say, and, and there was just a lot happening fast for kids in their mid-20s, you know, and um, and a lot of big players, you know, and, uh, and, and then the guy that was the majority owner really has a good business sense, but he also was young, too. And um, so my involvement... It was it was almost like a big family. These because these guys had all gone to college together, and a lot of their wives had gone to college together, and they all knew each other real well. And I came in as the the outsider a little bit because I was from Michigan, and then I had also gone to school, you know, outstate in Colorado. So I didn't know any of these guys, and and so it was kind of it was very emotional. It was like you know things would happen, these big wins, and you know these big deals, and then. The next thing you know, there's cash flow issues or, you know, I don't remember, but lawsuits, whatever, things like that. So, um, so was it just one big group of people that were just in charge of all progressing the business from a sales marketing standpoint and then everybody kind of pitching in together for the operations and the finance? No, it was organized. I mean, the key player did a good job at, you know, the president did a good job, I think, at bringing in... Um, more experienced key players to run the business. Like we had, a, they had a CFO. I say we, cause I think of it as our business, but I was not part of the ownership there per se, but there was a CEO. Um, there was a controller, um, you know, there was structure, there was an organization chart, you know, um, my husband was VP of sales and marketing as <laughs> a 25 year old or whatever. Um, and he had a team of salespeople, you know, it, it was, there was structure to it, definitely. So what were the dynamics then? Walk us through with the, the multiple owners and the rapid growth. How did how did the things progress to the point where, I mean, it, from what you said, it, I mean, you guys walked through a pretty fast growth and then decided to sell sooner than a lot of businesses will that'll continue to grow on, go on with a growth like that. Walk me through the, the conversation that your husband was having with his partners and then how you saw the exposure to the, the emotional roller coaster and was it and what was the triggering event behind it? Um, the triggering event behind them deciding to sell the business was actually it was kind of two things, but the, I think the biggest thing, and this is a while ago, so it's hard to remember everything, but the biggest thing was cash flow. 
and just having cash flow issues and, and needing to be able to deal with that in some way, shape or form. And then the other triggering event was opportunity because the industry was being deregulated and um, there was opportunity as well. So um, I don't Opportunity remember. from the potential buyers or? Yeah, or for, the, for them to sell. Okay. There was buyers, yes. And um, my husband was, there was two, there was three owners, one majority and two minor. And my husband was a minor owner. And um, he, you know, I don't remember exactly when or why the decision was made, but I know that, you know, they were finally ended up being approached by NSP, Northern States Power, who now, of course, is Excel. Um, but they approached us to buy the business, or not, not us, that company. I think of us because, again, I think of myself. So it was as an external related. It was kind of just a, an offer out of the out of the blue that was initiated by MS, NSP. Yeah. Yes. Had the, the had your husband and you had any conversations at home about what it would look like and what you would do if you ever got an offer, or was it just kind of head down and keep trudging away? Yes, head down, keep trudging away. It sounded really sexy and cool to get this offer, but until we saw it, we really didn't believe it, and we didn't make any big plans or anything. And um, But I will tell you, though, once it happened that's when things really changed. And that was an interesting process. When you say things change, what do you mean by that? So I don't know what happens to other people, but our experience was, and I think it has a lot to do with our backgrounds and um, our stage of life. But my husband grew up in a family business. Um, I grew up in a family business, but different. I grew up as a farm kid. And, um, you know, it's, it, you're always, we always got the talk on the farm, you know, this, we might lose the farm this year cause it was, you know, tough until my dad got the farm, you know, more paid off. It was tough in the early years. And we always knew that. Whereas my husband grew up at a family business where his grandpa started a farm implement company. Um, and it was really successful by the time he was born and he was a part of the business over in Wisconsin all the time, but he, I don't feel like he ever had the fear factor. And so when we sold that manufacturing company and got a, an influx of cash as 27-year-olds, I'll be honest with you, the first thing we thought of is, you know, what trip are we going to go on? What trip's on our bucket list? So we went on a trip to Ireland, and I went fox hunting in Ireland. And fox hunting, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was on my bucket list. My husband bought a Harley. And it was on his bucket list. And um, we bought some hunting property over in Wisconsin. And we invested a lot of it. But What do the rest of your friends think when, when you guys are off kind of splurging after your hard-earned hard uh, reward? I will, I will tell you, Ryan, honestly, I, I would not wish that time back in our lives because I feel like it changed me. And it changed friendships with some of our some of our friends, um, legitimately so. I mean, you know, how can you as a struggling 27-year-old not have mixed emotions about your friends that suddenly come into a lot of cash? I mean, it just, it was, it was different. I mean, I definitely think some of our relationships were strained, but, um, and I don't think we made the wisest choices, but that's when we also you know, felt like we had the Midas touch a little bit. And I, 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 my husband, I think would be the first to admit that he kind of felt that way because he grew up in a family business. The first business right out of college, he, he, you know, was involved in, did well. And he felt like, oh, well, this is, this is just going to continue to happen. And so I'm just going to march right into the next endeavor and I'm sure it'll go well. So how long between, as far as the, uh, time frame? So you got the, uh, the offer from NSP, mm -hmm. how, how long between that and the actual sale and writing of the, the papers? Pretty quickly. Um, I think it was maybe two, three months. So I want to say, I remember going, we went to Hawaii and I think it was November of 1997 on a work trip where um, a company paid for us to go to the Ritz Carlton in Hawaii for a week. And then my husband and his two business partners had to leave the trip early to go home and like ink the deal. And so I, I think it was right around the holidays in 1997 that um, everything kind of was finalized. 
So what was the dialogue between you and Phil over those couple months where you knew that you were, I mean, I'm assuming you probably, you know, reversed into some of the numbers of what kind of cash you're going to be getting afterwards. And what were some of the conversations about plans afterwards or next ventures? Or, I mean, obviously you decided to buy a Harley and go out to Ireland, but what were some of the conversations that you guys had? Well, originally he was supposed to stay on at NS at NSP. Well, NSP bought this, this little company up and then changed the name and in Phil was supposed to stay on and, and stay working there. And so we really didn't have a lot of discussions about what we were going to do next because I was employed at the time and, and he was theoretically employed. You know, he was, they asked him to stay on and, you know, part of his contract was that um, he would stay on for a period of time and then um, his role would not change. Well, then he ended up in a role where he was supervising some data entry individuals and he felt at the time that this is maybe three or four months into it, that, that was a demotion in his mind from what he was doing before. So he- A little bit went, different than VP of marketing. <laughs> yeah, well, VP of sales. Yeah. And so he, um, he went ahead and, and resigned. And he then, and this is, I'm not proud to admit, this is where we were in our life then, he filed suit against NSP for um, demotion or violation of contract. Was there an earnout tied to it, where there was a chunk of the a portion of the money that he was paid afterwards? Uh, no, there wasn't. So he had just been given the chunk of money when he, when they sold the company, but they had written in the contract that they wanted him to stay. And they, I, you know, I, I think that they, you know, I think that if he would have stayed, it probably would have been just fine. But he, his pride was injured, and and I do believe that they did violate the contract, but that was debatable, of course. And so. Um, we used Winthrop and Weinstein, I want to say, to file suit against NSP. And oh my gosh, that was what I more vividly remember, Ryan, which was scary. And um, going up against NSP in court. And, you know, apparently our, our attorneys felt like we had a really good case. But then one of the other partners you know, had a lawsuit, decided to file suit against NSP for something else. And NSP just got fed up and said, you know what, if you guys don't drop all your frivolous lawsuits, we're going to rescind the deal. And it scared us. And so we dropped everything. But I think at the time, I think we spent $50,000 on law fees alone in like that first three or four months, just out of pride. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you? And that was frightening to me personally, but my husband felt like he had a real issue. So when that was kind of dropped and swept under the rug, he needed to have a new career, and that was a very stressful time. I remember just being like, oh, my gosh, what is he going to do? Did he have any idea, or did you have any idea how it was going to go? No. I was I was very frightened, personally. Um, my husband was very optimistic that he'd, you know, knock the ball out of, car, out of the park again. So he got his real estate license. He was going to go develop land. Um, then he got his series seven license and, um, decided he wanted to be, um, a financial advisor because we had good friends that were land developing land and making big money. And we had good friends that were successful financial advisors. So he felt like there's no reason why he couldn't do both of those things at the same time. So, um, I was going to say, how does the dialogue between you <laughs> and Phil and the rest of your friends is, you know, everybody's kind of getting into their career, you know, really identifying themselves with where their companies are at and where their career paths are going. So what, how does that change the dialogue with the people you were hanging out with? You know, I think the people that we were hanging out with at the time were entrepreneurial as well. So I think a lot of them kind of shared the optimism. We really didn't have a lot of friends that weren't entrepreneurial that I recall, you know, our good friends have always kind of, you know, at least at that period of time, we're Looking building their the own business. Big deal. Yeah, kind of. And they're just building their own business. And, um, so it was kind of the culture that we lived in and that we, you know, the friendships that we had, which is probably a large part of why I think, um, my husband felt like, ah, oh, why not? Let's just go, you know, do another business. And the second business that we did, um, was started purely out of, how do you want to say it? It wasn't, it was not well thought out. It was out of just seeing an opportunity and taking it. More of a 
reason to do something? Yeah, and I was in the business already as um, a licensed um, sales assistant, and I was happy with what I did. And so I think my husband thought, well, this will be an opportunity for us to work together, and I can, you know, I can, you know, sell financial advisory products or whatever, and Christy can help me build this business. And so I felt like whatever makes my husband happy, I'm going to be a part of. So um, I just jumped on that and went right along with helping him um, with that business. So the overall goal of starting the business, or was it more to be happy and work together? What was was real? For me, it was to be happy and to work together. For my husband, there was a quantifiable goal all the time. And um, originally, out of the gates, um, he was very successful at making those goals, for the most part, right away. But for those of you that have built a business from scratch, especially a service-related business, it's very challenging. And um, I don't think he realized how challenging and stressful it is to be a business owner on your own. I mean, yeah, I was there, but I, I, um, it was not my dream. It was his dream. And how did that affect everything at home? You know, we worked together pretty well. Um, and I worked really hard at supporting him at that point in time. Although I kind of started to see the writing on the wall fairly quickly in that I didn't, I started to see that after about we owned that business for seven years. So we owned the first business for five or six years. We owned the second business for seven years. We sold both businesses, one at an incredible gain and one at an incredible loss. And I will tell you that the second business, the difference is we just, it was almost like the rebound relationship, Ryan, where, you know, you have your first really successful, you know, relationship and you lose that relationship and you jump into the next one too quickly without really analyzing what went well, what didn't go so well with the first relationship. And I would, I would say that that is a very accurate depiction of what happened with us in the second business. We just rebound right into it. And how did that affect you? Because you were really involved with your husband and growth of a, of a company and then struggling and you no longer got the Midas touch. How does that affect you and how did you come to the conclusion that it was time to release or, or move on? So there's, there's very few things in life that I can say that I've done well. You know, life is a series of personal successes and challenges and regrets. But one of the things I had to work extremely hard at during that period of time is not telling my husband that we needed to sell the business, but letting my husband uncover that for himself. Cause I, I do believe that it would have really seriously impacted our marriage. If I would have been the one to tell him the business needed to be sold. So where were I, you guys when, when he came to the realization and you had already obviously been at, been in that place mentally and had already been there. So where were you and how did the, the conversation go between you two? Oh, well, this is after some, some counseling and everything during this time, because I, um, my husband was anxious about the business, but he, um, was kind of hiding decisions from me at that point in time and not telling me, uh, you know, kind of the truth about, you know, his successes or lack of successes, um, in the business. And then he would also tap into, um, you know, taking a loan, like the property I mentioned out in Wisconsin, he would, he mortgaged it um, to pay for some stuff in the business and didn't tell me. What do you think there was some pride going on there? Oh, yes, yes. And so, you know, we were dealing with some, some issues and I was letting my husband work it out because even though I would, you know, literally get in my car and drive away from the house and call my best friend and cry, like, I don't know how I can take this any longer because we were burning through money right and left. You know, the business, if you looked at it from the outside, looked successful, but we were spending so much money on marketing and, and making all kinds of investments into all kinds of marketing, you know, stuff we didn't, stuff that worked, but then a lot of stuff that didn't. And um, it was scaring me to death as we kept burning through all these, you know, assets and investments that we had just 
obtained through selling the first business, we were burning through all this right and left. And, and I will attribute it all to the fact that we did not do our homework ahead of time on what, what to do with yourself when like, and I would say for us, you sell one business and then what you want to do with your life after that, I truly believe that if we would have done some kind of like career coaching or some kind of like assessment at that point in our life, it would have really, really helped us, both of us, um, because we we're both in the wrong positions, but we didn't. So we just stubbornly went ahead and burned that business to the ground more or less and, and almost our marriage. I mean, we but did. But it sounds like you successfully... Terrified have made the bridge after I mean you sold the business so you didn't you didn't file a bankruptcy or shut the doors you you sold what was left to a, a different firm I'm, I'm assuming yeah. or we did I mean we did we we did well by our clients we sold we transitioned the business we, we found an advisor that we trusted that we felt would do a good job for our clients um, we uh, sold the business to that advisor and we Phil stayed on for a period of time to have personal meetings and introductory um, meetings and transition meetings, whatever, to the new, ad new advisor. And so the clients did well and, you know, we did not sell the business for much. Little did we know it was probably worth a lot more, but um, we just were anxious to kind of move on. So it was, it was between emotionally and financially just the triggering event between those two just kind of came to a head and and Phil came to the realization himself or after he did no he came to the realization event or realization that we needed to sell the business on his own um and it was let me think about it it was spring of 2005 so um, how was it different after the second business you guys had sold what was the atmosphere between you two and your perspective on life and what was next I explain the difference between the first time and the second time. Well, I think the first time was sort of like winning the lottery. Um, even though I know that Phil worked hard in that first business, we sold that business and essentially won the lottery. And I think that 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 may be a similar case with other people that sell a business and suddenly have a large influx of cash. And while you've worked very hard to earn it, you haven't necessarily saved all that money month in, month out, month in, month out. It just suddenly gets given to you. And when that happens, I think that there's very few people that can successfully navigate that without lots of coaching. And we got zero coaching or, or zero you know, financial advice. We had no trusted advisors really. And why did we need, you know, we were, I, I was an, I was a registered representative, even though I wasn't, you know, writing financial plans for people. I felt like I knew enough and just a lot of pride. Um, the second one was very humbling. And um, yet I will tell you that once we sold the second one, even though we were financially in a pretty rotten spot, I felt so relieved, Ryan, I can't even tell you. I was ready to just move on. Um, my husband was pretty defeated. I was pretty optimistic, and I felt like at least now we can start building instead of, you know, for the last seven years, we'd just been burning through cash. And I was looking forward to, even though we were in a hole financially, we did not file bankruptcy, but we definitely had, you know, some business debt. Um, I felt like now we can start to move forward again. So that was the spring of 2005, and it took my husband quite a while. Um, I would say it took him to recover from that experience up until April 18th of 2011. So that's a long period of time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what were some of the biggest challenges that um, he was struggling with, that, and how did you navigate those challenges differently um that's a very complex question because and i you know i i have permission to share this but my husband during that time became a secret alcoholic and i did not know it so he compensated with um his issues around those two events by drinking and um kind of just 
you know, became a bigger and bigger problem until he went into recovery. And I found out um, shortly before um, April 11th to April 18th, 2011, that he was an alcoholic. I, he was a functioning alcoholic and I didn't know it. So did he and jump into another career that this was able to get kind of hidden or was it more kind of wandering around? What was some of the things that filled his time that were kind of... Well, it's interesting, Ryan, because that, so what happened after we sold the financial advisory business is he actually got hired back to the, the, the business that he sold, the manufacturing business that he sold to NSP. NSP got bought out by Excel. And when Excel bought out NSP, they sold off this little manufacturing business again. While we had our, we were off doing our own thing with the financial planning business, um, some other people bought back this, this lighting manufacturing company. And then when we sold our financial advisory business, they hired Phil back with, with the potential of uh, key employee ownership. So he was kind of, he went back into the uh, manufacturing business in the sales kind of like what he had before second at, nature stuff that's easy uh, to kind of wake up yeah. and do and and also um very optimistic that he was going to be an owner again of the company that had started in his bedroom back in 1992 and that never materialized and he the resentment just built and the you know the negative attitude you know just beating himself up over failures that he thought you know he had he had created in his own life and that just became a vicious cycle, um, and then it all came to a head when he went into treatment on April eighteenth, two thousand eleven. So, so you're you're obviously handled things a lot differently. What are, what were some of the things that you did to to contribute to your optimism and your outlook? Because you've now own your own business as well. So you've you took a different path that's dramatically different. What were some of the things that you think helped you along that journey? Well, I would, thank you, Ryan. I would actually say that the biggest things that helped me, and now my husband has done the same thing. So um, he is in a completely different place now and doing very, very well. But I, um, what I did is I tried to do first a lot of um, self analyzing, like, you know, what's going well in my life, what's not going well professionally and personally, and tried to take an inventory. Um, of, of myself and my strengths. And then I went to a couple different career counselors. I'm a big proponent of coaching and, um, you know, using people to coach me in areas of my life that I'm not strong in. And I wasn't seeing the forest for the trees in my own life in terms of what my strengths were. So I, I think the initiating factor in even starting down that road was I went to a, a class at our church, which is entitled GPS, Gifts, Passion, Strengths, just to help you figure out where you should volunteer at church. And when I did that, I learned that I have um, some pretty strong relationship and influencing strengths. And I thought to myself, my gosh, I'm not using these at all. So that was your biggest insight that you, it, one of the kind of epiphany aha moments? Yeah, I think so. And it, it wasn't the aha moment, but it was one of them. And then um, from there, I went back into the, the path that I knew best, which is financial services. And I helped a, a different um, financial ensemble start a business from scratch in Minnesota. They had a business going successfully in um, Charleston, South Carolina, but they wanted a branch in Minnesota. And I literally found an ad on Craigslist when I was going through this self-discovery process and I um, called on the ad and they you know had a meeting and they hired me to do business development for them and I, it, I did it really well I mean I, I was very successful for them built a strong practice here um, in Minnesota and they wanted me to come on as a full-fledged advisor and this is my second like big self-exploration moment which was I wanted nothing to do with becoming a full-service advisor and I, I was trying really hard to figure out, well, if I'm so good with people and I enjoy helping people, why do I not want to be a financial advisor? If everybody that meets me when they see me in the business thinks I should be, well, then when I, I did the strength finder personal personality assessment again, 
I realized and I took it where you get the full report, you get all 34 strengths in order instead of just your top five. I looked at my bottom strengths and some of my bottom strengths were the exact strengths I would need to be a financial advisor, which are analytical strengths, intellection strengths, where you like to think things through, you're very detailed, you know, um, maximizer. Like a lot of these strengths where, you know, I would need those if I was going to be looking at portfolios, looking at financial plans all the time, keeping up on tax updates. And I, they were all my bottom strengths. And it just kind of took the pressure off. Like, you know what, this is not where I belong. So then I went in from there. I continued meeting with uh, different um, business coaches here and there and, um, you know, took some classes on um, purpose, your purposeful life and things like that. And, um, went to work for a marketing firm in St. Paul for three and a half years after I left that financial advisor. Say, so after you get your strengths, I mean, what was there certain criteria that you were looking for in a job? I mean, is yes. it a specific yep. industry or were there certain things that you were, cause obviously you're getting coaching from these people and I'm assuming they're helping you identify where you find your passion and purpose or your, your sense of, I don't know, identity. Yes. So, Anytime you work with another professional, and, and you know this, Ryan, that, you know, you can receive coaching, whether it's, you know, a personal fitness trainer, whether it's a business coach, a marketing coach, whatever it is, you can get all the coaching in the world. But if you don't do the homework that they give you or you don't do your own work, it's going to amount to nothing. And so when I was going through this process, I did my own work. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table and, and, you know, taking little tests on my laptop. I took the disc test on my own. I took different tests. And then I'd read about, you know, you might like these careers. And I remember real estate agent was one that would come up high for me all the time. And so I pursued that for a little while. I looked, I went and did informational interviews and I talked to different people and I just, you know, it wasn't the right fit for me. So, um, marketing seemed like a really good fit for me and, and I definitely knew I was good at sales. So that's kind of what led me, um, into finding this opening at this marketing agency. And, and I did that for three and a half years and, and eventually left there. And this was the catalyst I think that led to me finally realizing that I needed to be an entrepreneur, which was, you know, I was selling, um, for this marketing agency and I really respected them and I really believed in what, what I was selling. And then things started to shift and I didn't respect the business owners as much anymore for various different reasons. And I didn't believe in what they were asking me to sell. And I just couldn't sell anymore. I was just, you know, I was like, look, I can, I can't, I'm authentic. That's who I am. I'm an open book and I can't, go into a meeting and say that people should spend $50,000 on their brand messaging. I just, I can't do that in good conscience. And so I ended up leaving there. And when I left there, I did not have another job lined up. And now we're still financially digging out of this. Hole. I was going to say, so you, <laughs> I took a big risk. Well, and, and that's what I, so I'm, I'm curious because when you say you went up and you looked at real estate, you were looking at all these different companies, all these different industries, that's a lot of work and that's emotionally draining. So my question yes. for you is, so to wake up every day and continue to explore all those different options, where was the fire, the motivation coming from? Because it would have been super easy for you to just go plug, get plugged in at another investment banking firm or something where you got a job that's stable, especially yep. after two major up and down roller coasters like you've been through. So where, do you can attribute the uh, the fire or the motivation to explore all the different options that you did? Oh, that is really a good question, Ryan. And I I have coached a lot of people through this same process, and I think your sense of motivation is equivalent to two things. Your your financial situation is one thing that's always going to be putting pressure on you to figure it out. And secondly, your level of frustration or discontentment with your current situation. And I would say for me, um, I, I've never been super financially motivated. So for me, it was really my level of discontentment and frustration. And yes, I had financial pressure because of the the failure of our second business, but that was not it alone. It was certainly more of, I want to do something that I'm an emotional person 
And because I'm an, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are emotional. I could be wrong about that, but I would say a lot of entrepreneurs are very emotional. And so I have to be able to get up in the morning and do something that I'm passionate about or it's not going to be worth it. So that is so your definition. That was is that my, the opposite of discontent is your passion. Um, um, now it is like now I get up every day and I'm really, really passionate about helping the people that I, that I work with in our business. That's what gets, gets me up in the, in the day is, you know, gets me fired up is, Oh, I get to talk to so-and-so today. And I'm really excited because we're really helping them grow their business. Whereas, you know, before I was just a stay at home mom for a period of time and, and I was very discontent Plus, we had financial pressures, and I was like, man, I got to figure this out because I'm really unhappy in life. I love being a mom, but I don't like being a full-time stay-at-home mom, and so I was really, really driven to, to – there. I knew there was more to life, and so that's what really drove me to just keep pushing it, you know, until I – till I figured out what I was put on this earth to do, Ryan, honestly. I mean, I just kept pushing through and I, I, so walk I me just through really that, that epiphany that you figured out what you're supposed to do on this earth. Cause that's, <laughs> that's something yeah. I think everybody's so, in search for. Well, I think really it's, I, I'm, and I do this all the time in my, um, role now with what I do with my business, but I am super, super, super passionate now about helping people discover how they're hardwired naturally. And I feel like that was when my epiphany hit. So I, I was starting to really uncover how I was hardwired. I was learning and taking notes on what I was not good at and what my weaknesses are. But I was also starting to really take notice of and really remember the things that, that made me feel really good and gave me energy. What were some so of the steps or resources that you used to do that? Um, well, I would definitely say the Strength Finder. Um, by the Gallup organization was helpful for me and really not just taking the test and getting the results, but actually really thinking through the results, the strengths that I had that were my natural, you know, top strengths and, and reading through the descriptions and what often people do when they have those top strengths, meaning career wise. And I, and there's no, like, there's no place out there that's going to give you the golden ticket of what you need to do. So you have to kind of take notes on yourself. Like, okay, I remember that Woo is one of my top strengths. That means I really like to, to meet new people and make small talk. Um, communication is one of my top strengths. That means that I find it easy to put my thoughts into words. And so it just like by reading through those strengths that I that were my top strengths, I would start to just remember, well, you have value, Christy, and you have things to offer other people. So, you know, offer this world, but start to really pay attention to that. And the things that really I wasn't good at and, and I think about, okay, now who can I partner with that is good at the things that I'm not good at? So fast forwarding, Ryan, to when I left that marketing firm where I was the salesperson and I left it with no second job lined up, that took a lot of courage. And the reason why I did it is because I sought out um, a career coach by the name of Beth Wellesley from Pro Promoting Brilliance. And she... She and I met before I left, and I, I kind of needed her to validate my frustrations with my current situation. And she, she said, yes, it's, it's a situation that if you continue in, it's just going to continue to beat down on your confidence. And your confidence in your career is your, your biggest asset. Your confidence in yourself, I should say, is your biggest asset. And so she's like, you know, you need to make a change sooner than later or you're just going to continue to beat down on yourself and it's going to be harder and harder and harder to make a change. So she also knew my strengths and she knew I um, is a, am a pretty hard driver. And she said, you know what? I promise you, if you quit that, if you quit that role and you take two weeks off to just live and just rest and recover, you're going to hit the ground running in two weeks from now. And you're going to be able to just knock the ball out of the park. And, and I did not believe her, Ryan, until she said it to me maybe three times over a period of about two months. And finally, I just was like, you know what? I got to take the leap. And I did it. And the and leap just, meaning you don't know. With the job, I, um, we didn't have the money. We did not have the resources for me to just quit a job. And I just said to myself, you know what? Sometimes you've got to take a risk. And this is probably what helped me also see that I was born to be an entrepreneur because I was like, willing to take that risk and follow her instructions. 
And she was exactly right. Like, I took two weeks off. I just, like, I remember sitting in the backyard with my kids and watching them swim in the pool. And I just was like, this is so great. Because I was, I didn't realize how burnt out and frustrated I was. And so um, after two weeks, then I had a big garage sale, cleaned up my house, raised enough money to pay for some gas and go back to Michigan <laughs> for a week and <laughs> visit my family. And when I came back from that, I was fired up to go make something happen. I went on some interviews, I or a lot of interviews. I networked networked up a storm and and you know, I kept my eyes open for, you know, what do I want to do? You know, like do I want to go work for somebody else? Or and I I kind of really didn't think I I did, but that's all I kind of thought I was, you know, capable of so doing. So did you decide to actually start your own company then? Well, one of my friends that was really, really, really devoted to helping me find another another job, if you will, was Terry Wheeler. And um, Terry just was meeting with me almost weekly, like, okay, I know so-and-so. Why don't I introduce you to them, and let's see if they're hiring. And she got me a couple interviews, and she prepped me for some interviews. And she was just really, really good at supporting me and she had this great business professional services marketing and she'd been doing it for a while and she was having to kind of reboot where she was in her business because she had taken some a turn in her business that didn't work out and so she was kind of having to start over a little bit in her business and so um i was encouraging her too because i just thought the world of her and one day i just looked across the table at her during lunch and i was just getting ready to leave and go to a yet another interview and i said to her i'm like you know someday i'd really like to work with you and she's like, oh, that'd be so fun. You know, and I, I, I said, I want to be in, in, you know, marketing like you and do marketing coaching and consulting. And she's like, oh, that'd be great. And after I said that about a week later, I just thought, you know what? That's what I need to do. So I called Terry up. I remember calling her up on June, what was it? June 10th, 2011. Might've been after that, but called her up on a Friday and I said, okay, I really think I want to work with you. And she's like, oh my gosh, that'd be great. And she sent me a big long email that night and about all the possibilities. And she had the business for 15 years and never had a business partner. And she thought I'd be the perfect fit. And we went through that. Did that job mesh up with the criteria that you and Beth had put together? Yes. And it wasn't just Beth. I like I had, I still have, a huge notebook of all these notes I had taken over my about myself over the last like five years. This was not at all a one-time thing. This was like a building, you know, working through things process. But I had taken notes. I had I had notebooks. I had folders on myself. And so when this when this opportunity kind of presented itself organically, it it hit on every cylinder for me. I really was like, this is it, and. There were some challenges, like Terry and I, we, we did not sign on the dotted line immediately. So that was mid-June. Terry and I did pre-business, like premarital counseling. We did pre-business partnership counseling with a few different advisors. And one was a strength finder coach. She looked at both of our strengths and she talked to us about how they'd work well together, how they'd maybe um, not work so well together. We did have opposite strengths. We do have opposite strengths. We talked about values. Cool. We talked about a ton of what if this happens? What if that happens? A lot of scenarios. What were some of your non-negotiables as you're walking into your third business? Uh, yeah, good. That's another really good question, Ryan. A, a non-negotiable for me was the values because part of what I got disillusioned with with previous uh, employers slash, you know, business owners that I'd been involved with were, uh, not having the same values. So our values in, uh, business needed to be aligned and we had to talk through our values. So I think that that, you know, why Terry and I have such a, a, a wonderful partnership now is because we did all that legwork and we really talked through values. We talked through money we have been very upfront from day one about the splits that we have as business partners. We've been very upfront about how we're going to treat um, people that work with us, how we're going to treat our, our clients. We talk through all kinds of, we kind of, we've, I think we addressed a lot of really scary scenarios, you know, 
and talk through all kind of like in marriage, it's kind of taboo to talk about sex sometimes like in, in business, sometimes it's really taboo or hard to talk about money. And we did that from day one. We talked about all the yucky stuff first and it's just always, always, always been on the table. And, and, but I think the core thing, Ryan really is the values, the values piece, because in going back to what, you know, didn't work well in our previous business experiences jointly between Phil and I and other people was really the values and, and having your values aligned. So having your values aligned, I think is really important with your business because then it becomes more of you, which I think, you know, our listeners, the biggest thing that we think about is the, that the entrepreneur gets to paint their identity and their values and their beliefs through their business and it becomes part of them. So describe your relationship with your business now compared to some of the other ones. And then how do you separate the two and how do you make sure that uh, there is some distinguishing differences between the two? Well, I think that um, one of the things that Beth Wellesley has always said that if you're going to work with somebody or for somebody, one of the key components that you have to have for that person is respect. And I would say that that's true for me um, personally for business partners and clients. And um, I, when I start with a new client, for example, I, they're interviewing me, but I also am interviewing them as well because I have to make sure that I respect my clients. Otherwise I can't back to that passion. I don't, if I can't respect them and I don't believe in them, then I can't get up in the morning and, and get excited about helping them. And so it's the same thing with business partners. You know, I really, really respect my business partner. I really admire her. And I really like her in, the, in that order. I mean, it's respect first, um, admire, and then like. So that wasn't, those maturity and um, time and experience have really shown me that those are really key non-negotiables for me because in our first business, there was some um, character flaws um, at the time in the main business owner. And um, they've really shown you know, up in that person now over time. Um, and some of the um, next businesses there's, you know, that I've been involved in, there's been issues with, you know, some character challenges that didn't, or, or values that didn't mesh with mine. And so um, it leads to discontentment, it leads to frustration, and it leads to, I think, a lack of um, ability to communicate. 